Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this. All of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Even before the pandemic, American kids have been dealing with a crisis. Rising rates of suicide, self-harm, anxiety, and depression. Your generation got hit with this in what's supposed to be kind of a fun, carefree time. What was lost? What did you guys lose during the pandemic? Myself. Yourself. Yeah. This we're saving. I mean, you can see. We Americans spend 90% of our time inside buildings. Well, we found a group of young architects who have set out to create a new model of architecture, one that is both beautiful and healthy for the people who build and use them. Inspiration, they say they got in Africa and have now brought home. What you were doing in Rwanda, you were also doing in Haiti, Malawi. And Poughkeepsie? (laughs) I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. 
That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. The U.S. Surgeon General has called it an urgent public health crisis, a devastating decline in the mental health of kids across the country. According to the CDC, the rates of suicide, self-harm, anxiety, and depression are up among adolescents, a trend that began before the pandemic. Tonight, we'll take you to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a community trying to help its kids navigate a mental health crisis. As we first reported in May, Wisconsin has the fifth highest increase of adolescent self-harm and attempted suicide in the country, with rates nearly doubling since before the pandemic. In the emergency room at Children's Hospital in Milwaukee, Doctors like Michelle Pickett are seeing more kids desperate for mental health help. We unfortunately see a lot of kids who have attempted suicide. That is something that we see, I'd say, at least once a shift. Um, once a shift? Oh, oh yes. Yes, unfortunately. Dr. Pickett has worked in the ER for nine years. Is there any group that's not being impacted? No, we're seeing... At all, kids, you know, who come from very well-off families, kids who don't, kids who are suburban, kids who are urban, kids who are rural, we're, we're seeing it all. The surge of families needing help for their kids has revealed a deficit of people and places to treat them. Across the country, the average wait time to get an appointment with a therapist is 48 days, and for children, it's often longer. What does it say to you that the place they have to come is the emergency room? that there's something wrong with our system. The emergency room should not be the place to go and get you know, acute mental health care when you're in a crisis. We are not a nice, calm environment. But they're desperate. But, yeah, but we, we're there and we see everybody. But I wish there were more places that kids could go to get the help that they need. We just have a couple questions for you to answer on the iPad. To manage the mental health crisis and heavy caseload, Dr. Pickett introduced an iPad with a series of questions that screen the mental health of every child 10 and older who comes to the ER for any reason. Among the questions, have you been having thoughts about killing yourself? And have you felt your family would be better off if you were dead? Harsh questions that can be lifesavers to the kids who answer them. We've had four kids that I know of personally that came in for completely unrelated problems, so a broken arm or an earache or whatever it was, and actually were acutely suicidal to the point where we needed to transfer them to inpatient uh, facility right then and there. So we're catching kids you know, who are in very much crisis like that, um, but we're also catching the kids that just need help and don't know what to do and haven't really talked about this. According to the CDC, hospital admissions data shows the number of teenage girls who have been suicidal has increased 50% nationwide since 2019. I thought it was normal. Sofia Jimenez was one of them. I remember crying every night and not knowing what was going on, and I felt so alone. 
Sophia and her friend Nina Hughes were in eighth grade looking forward to high school when COVID turned their worlds upside down. I've always been a super smart kid and I've always had really good grades. And then as soon as the pandemic hit, I, I failed a class. When I was virtual, I had no motivation to do anything. I would just sit in my room, never leave, and it was like obvious signs of depression. My mental health got really bad, especially my um, eating disorder. I was basically home alone all day. My parents, well, they noticed that I wasn't eating. I would refuse to eat, so then they ended up taking me to the hospital. Sophia had to stay in the hospital for two weeks before a bed opened up at a psychiatric facility. Your generation, like, got hit with this in what's supposed to be kind of a fun, carefree time. What was lost? What did you guys lose during the pandemic? Myself. Yourself. Yeah. I would definitely say there were big pieces of myself that I were definitely lost. I lost friends because we wouldn't see each other. We couldn't go to our first homecoming. I couldn't have an eighth grade graduation. I know that doesn't sound like that big of a deal. But, but it's a big deal when you're in eighth grade. Yeah. yeah. I feel like if the pandemic hadn't happened at all, a lot of my, like, sadness and, like, mental problems would not be as bad as they are. It just made everything worse. Are we in crisis mode right now? We are. We are in crisis mode. And... Um, it's scary. Tammy McClough has worked as a child therapist throughout Wisconsin for the last 25 years. I think there was a hope that, you know, we're back in school, the kids are able to see their friends again and play sports, that this would all go away. Has it? No. No, I've noticed that the wait lists are longer, kids are struggling with more anxiety, more depression. So we were in a mental health crisis prior to the pandemic. Did the pandemic accelerate it? I believe so. We're coming out of the pandemic, but kids have still lost two years. Two years of socialization, two years of education, two years of their world kind of being shaken up. So as we get, quote unquote, back to normal, I think kids are struggling. Even when the pandemic's over, this crisis isn't going to be over. CDC numbers show that even before the pandemic, the number of adolescents saying they felt persistently sad or hopeless was up 40 percent since 2009. There are lots of theories on why, social media, increased screen time, and isolation, but the research isn't definitive. This past March, Tammy McClough was tapped by Children's Hospital to run an urgent care walk-in clinic specifically open to treat kids' mental health. May I help you guys? We are here to get some help. Open seven days a week from 3 to 9.30, it's one of the first clinics of its kind in the country. Now, what's going to work for you mm-hmm. and what's going to work for you? So when they come to our clinic, we assess them and we provide them with a therapy session. So we give them some interventions. We give them like a plan, an action plan. The plans are catered to each child's situation. Actionable things families and kids can do while they look for a doctor or facility to make room for them. How long have the wait lists been to get help? 
Normally you're put on, you're scheduled an appointment within a few months. And then months? I know, yeah. And then if you want a child psychiatrist, that you're looking at like months to a year. How important is it to get them help when they need it immediately? As days go on, the symptoms get worse. If you have a depressed child, you know, maybe they started out where they were feeling depressed, and then as the days goes on, they're suicidal. So it really, you really do need to get that help and that support right away. You move backwards. 11-year-old Austin Bringer desperately needed that support during the pandemic. He's a fifth grader at Roosevelt Elementary School in Milwaukee. How old were you when the pandemic hit? Yeah, I was nine. I was still going to school, but then I kept hearing on the news in the car, just like pandemic, stay put, quarantine, 14 days. When they first said, hey, you don't have to go to school, what was your reaction at that moment? Heaven. But then I realized it's the complete opposite. Opposite, because like millions of school-age kids, Austin was forced into remote learning for more than a year and disconnected from friends. There's like this shut-in, like the only way you could see people is through like phones or your family that you live with. That isolation took a toll on Austin, who was already struggling with news that his parents were getting a divorce. And that's when I think everything just started to magnify. He, you know, he was always asking to see his friends. We couldn't. And I remember there was one moment that he was just on the floor, like, kicking and punching the air, just, it, but couldn't describe why he was upset. Unable to vent with friends and without access to in-person therapy, Austin's mother, Melissa, says his world began closing in on him. Felt like he was interacting less and just kind of withdrawing into himself and spending a lot of time by himself. And I went to go tuck him in, and he said, Mom, I'm having suicidal thoughts. And he was how old? He was nine. And, like, I was kind of like, I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I just imagine myself going through all these things, like jumping from a building and, like, taking a knife from my kitchen mm -hmm. and ending my life. It was, it was over 50 of them that just flooded my mind. I don't really know if it was from all the, like, just antisocialness and not being able. It also felt like... With the divorce came a lot of yelling, and it felt like my parents didn't need me anymore. Just really hard to think about that moment. Mm -hmm. Desperate, Melissa called Austin's pediatrician, who referred her to outpatient therapists and inpatient psychiatric programs, only to be told there were long waiting lists and no beds. All this stuff is racing through my head. And then for them to say, well, there's no beds right now. And I'm like, how am I going to keep him safe? In an effort to try and keep kids safe, Wisconsin is trying another approach that's being adopted in other parts of the country. Hello, how are you guys? 17 pediatric clinics across southeastern Wisconsin have incorporated full-time therapists inside their offices. offering mental health screenings and treatment as part of routine care. Okay, so let's start with our assessment. Dr. Brilliant Nimmer was the first pediatrician in Milwaukee to create a therapist's office inside her office. You're saying we're here together, we're going to all work on this together, not 
we can't help you, go see somebody else. Exactly. And so having the therapist in our clinic to really just have be on a team together, discuss that patient and family together, to bounce ideas off of each other, because we both know them so well, um, is so much better for patient care. Dr. Nimmer's clinic treats an underserved community where families typically struggle to get mental health help. Therapists have treated more than 500 kids here since the pandemic started. I think as pediatricians and primary care providers, like we can no longer just solely say, you know, mental health providers, you're the only ones that are going to be taking care of our patients in regards to mental health. Like this is now something that we need to be doing too. Austin Bringer's pediatrician now has a therapist in her office too. Their family was fortunate to find regular outpatient therapy for his depression. How do you feel now? I don't know. It's much better than before. Everything's going up in my life. And knowing that, like, I'm friends with everyone in my class, I'm building better social life. It's fun to just know there's others that like the same things as me. Austin, it's not an easy thing to talk about all this stuff. Why did you agree to tell us about what you've been through? Because the world needs to. The world needs to know. Mental health and stuff like that needs to be treated or bad stuff could happen. If you're going through that by yourself, try and contact someone you know, like your friend, your family. And talk about it. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. We Americans spend 90% of our time inside of buildings, yet most of us give little thought to the role architecture plays in our lives and our health. Tonight, we bring you a story about a group of award-winning young architects who have set out to create a new model of architecture. Not a particular style of building, but a way of thinking about how to build, who should build, using what, and for whom. Their nonprofit firm, based in Boston, is called MASS, short for Model of Architecture Serving Society. And they were inspired early on by the work of Dr. Paul Farmer, who passed away unexpectedly just months after our story first aired last fall. Though trained at Harvard, MASS's founders say they learned the most important lessons of architecture during time they spent in, of all places, Rwanda. Rwanda is a country many people know for one thing, the 1994 genocide that killed more than 800,000 people. 
Today, Rwanda is at peace, a bustling nation of 13 million working hard to lift its population out of poverty. There are construction projects all around the country, several of them being designed by mass. Though started by Americans, the head of its team in Kigali today is Rwandan architect Christian Benimana. I heard that when mass started, there was no word for architect in your language. And there is still no word for architect. You have an expression, umuhanga, muguhanga, inyobako. Meaning? Expert in the creation of buildings. The amazing thing about Benny Mana told us he dreamed of creating buildings even as a little boy. But with no school of architecture in post-genocide Rwanda, he had to study in China in Mandarin. Everything is designed around the... Michael Murphy, Mass's executive director, had a very different path to architecture. I studied English literature. Well, that's going to get you far in architecture. Yes, which is... <laughs> Murphy's life took a sharp turn after college when his father was diagnosed with cancer, given just a few weeks to live. Murphy rushed back to Poughkeepsie, New York, to their old home that his dad had spent weekends restoring. I said, what can I do while I wait here on death watch? And so I started working on the house. And after three weeks, he was still alive. Six weeks, we started working together. After uh, a year and a half, I'd fully restored the building. He was fully in remission. And he said, you know, working on this house with you, it saved my life. It healed me. Whoa. Wow. And then I said, well, I have to be an architect now. When he came in wearing these silver cowboy boots. (laughs) Alan Ricks and Murphy became fast friends as first-year students at Harvard's Graduate School of Design. But as they dove in, both found something wanting in the curriculum. We were learning about the heroism of architecture, the beautiful sculptures, the names of the famous architects. But not so much about how architecture could help people and communities. During first semester, Murphy went to a talk by one of his idols, Dr. Paul Farmer, who had founded the nonprofit Partners in Health to provide medical care for the neediest populations around the world. He said, we're building hospitals, we're building clinics, we're building schools. And so when I went up to him afterwards to ask, you know, who are the architects that you're working with? He said, you know, architects have never asked us how they could be of service to what we're doing. So we often have to do it ourselves. Why weren't architects attracted to working with you? I mean, a lot of them care about the poor. They certainly do. But the way the incentive structure is set up is, hey, you give us money, we'll design something for you. So when Murphy offered to volunteer on a Partners in Health project in Rwanda the following summer of 2007, Dr. Farmer said, bring it on. We gave him some very humble projects. You're smiling. (laughs) Must be pretty good. (laughs) He asked me if I would design a little laundry building. A laundry building? (laughs) Well, how did the laundry look? It looked pretty good. It still looks good. So good, he called Michael Murphy a few months later and asked if he could help design a brand new hospital for a remote district of 350,000 that didn't even have a doctor. You're still a student. Still a student. So I looked around my classmates, said, this crazy call came in. Can anyone help me? 
you said yes right away, <laughs> without hesitation. Yeah, I mean, who, who wouldn't? What an opportunity. But when Dr. Farmer said their first design looked like an army barracks, Murphy decided to take a year off and move to the site called Butaro, where Farmer gave him three challenges he says have defined Mass's work to this day. The hospital should be beautiful, building it should help as many local people as possible, and it should have natural airflow to prevent the spread of diseases like tuberculosis that often ran rampant in enclosed wards and waiting rooms. Let me show you this image. Murphy showed us the design they came up with to move fresh air naturally through each ward. That's simple physics, where air moves from a lower to higher area. Beds would go in the middle, giving every patient a beautiful view. Beauty matters. The spaces around us that are designed with beauty say that we matter as individuals. If I were a doctor, wouldn't I say, I care about beauty, but I want a heart monitor first? Why make this a choice between a heart monitor and beauty? Surely we can have both. What they couldn't have, heavy equipment like front-end loaders that were too costly to get to the site. And so we asked, could we dig it by hand? And we dug the foundation by hand. Employ more people. And, you know, shocker, we did it faster and cheaper than, 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 the, if, you had than the big... if we had the front-end loader. How many people actually worked on this project total? Over 4,000 people worked on the project. And instead of trucking in materials, they decided to use volcanic stone that farmers here consider a nuisance because they have to clear it from their fields. You see the stone everywhere, but normally it's just piled up. And we thought this would be a really valuable material in, in the U.S. You know, could we use it in a different way? They designed the whole hospital facade with it, hiring dozens of local masons and spawning a new industry. This woman who trained at Butaro is now a forewoman with a team of masons she trains. And the amount of hours they spend doing this. Christian Benimana, back from Shanghai, was impressed by the thought given to the process of building and by giving so many people work, improving the local economy. It is critical for us to have prospect for a better future. And give people pride in Rwanda. That's very important to me because I make me proud as well. He joined the team and helped design housing for doctors at the hospital. Very quickly, we had a lot of work because there weren't many other people doing this. They decided to become a nonprofit architecture firm to work on projects that otherwise couldn't afford high-priced designs. They've built a maternity care center in Malawi, a cholera hospital in Haiti, schools, all with the same principles of airflow, beauty, and creating jobs. A decade later, they have a staff of over 200, more than half of them Rwandan. This tree is even more beautiful close up. We visited Butaro Hospital last summer. Its central courtyard felt part medical center, part public gardens, and its covered outdoor waiting room and hallways in this time of COVID felt prescient. This entire hospital is designed around that simple idea that airflow, air movement, are the basic premise that we should design our buildings around, and in particular our hospitals, so that patients don't transmit airborne diseases to each other. Four hours to the south, we went to see Mass's largest project yet, 
a 69-building campus for a brand-new college of agriculture funded by American philanthropist Howard Buffett. This space is really, we want to create a hub. It's spectacular. <laughs> Where Mass is pushing its philosophy to the limit. As Alan Rick showed us, just about everything here, from the earthen walls... The lines you see are the layers. ...to the furniture... The woven backrests of these chairs... ...is being made locally. Under Christian Benimana's leadership, Mass started a furniture division to collaborate with local artisans on creative designs instead of ordering from a catalog. It's one thing to go to Dubai and Turkey and China and Europe and pick a chair from a showroom, put it on a flight and bring it here. It's another thing to figure out a system that can create more opportunities for growth. And if you're thinking Mass's model could never work in the U.S., Michael Murphy wasn't sure either until he was challenged by a community leader back home. He said, you're doing all this work in Haiti and Rwanda. When are you going to come back to your hometown and work with us in Poughkeepsie? We need a lot of help. Poughkeepsie, like many once-thriving industrial cities, has seen factories close, its downtown choked off by highways, its storefronts boarded up. To top it off, its creek flooded during Hurricane Irene. We had just been in one of the most rural places in the world, and we had seen a hospital change the economy. I said, why can't we do that same thing here in Poughkeepsie? So Mass opened a small office on Main Street and got to work. Radiant light coming off of there. Converting the city's old trolley barn into an art space and designing housing. It's helping turn this old building into a food hall. We're going to save this building. And converting this long-abandoned factory into a new headquarters for the environmental group Scenic Hudson. If you look up, you can see that this whole opening was once a window. That was, was a window? That was all a window. Oh my goodness. Murphy says old buildings Where like this were designed to let in fresh air. But with the invention of air conditioning, big windows became a liability. So we shrunk them and sealed our buildings airtight. This is a sort of devil's bargain because it has made all of our buildings have really limited airflow and hence during COVID, we were all very vulnerable. We saw it with the nursing homes. And the prisons. Do you think that COVID will change architecture for everybody? Everyone around the world is going through a shift in their understanding of the buildings around us, that they may make us sicker, that they could make us healthier if they were better designed. Mass's new design will reopen the windows and, like a cutting-edge version of the hospital in Rwanda, use a solar-powered system to heat and cool air at each window, eliminating traditional air conditioning and heating entirely. And they have a plan to transform that flooding creek that's become something of a garbage dump. Some gutters, we get shopping carts. What is that, an air conditioner? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mass landscape architect Sierra Bainbridge came here with ideas about widening the creek to help with flooding, but also... If you're taking a holistic view of the problem, then the solution also begins to be a holistic view. Mass came up with designs to turn the blighted creek into beautiful park space that would run all through Poughkeepsie. Each project has to not solve for that one thing. We have to be thinking about how can we make design have the biggest possible impact. 
It's a lesson Mass believes can apply in many American cities. They have projects now in Cleveland, Birmingham, and Santa Fe. And their gospel of architecture-serving society has reached inside that ivory tower whose teachings they once found lacking. In 2021, Murphy taught lessons he learned in Rwanda back at Harvard. There's some clear simplicity to it. There's things we have to build. There's people we have to hire. There's materials we have to use. And if you think about the whole thing as a design project, you can have a lot more impact. In June, Mass was awarded the highest honor given by the American Institute of Architects, its 2022 Architecture Firm Award. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.